You can go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, for, for, those that, for those that might be visiting, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, one of the things that we love to do here, we did them last week and we get to do it again this week, and that is baby dedications. We are a church that knows how to populate. Um, somebody told me once, uh, a mentor in my life said, you can tell a church is healthy when there's new converts, engaged couples, and pregnant, pregnant women. <laughs> and we've had a lot of pregnant women and uh, so therefore a lot of babies. Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna just um, jump right into uh, dedication. So um, I'm gonna ask uh, just Stephen and Allie um, to come on up and, uh, and their fam. We're gonna ask Zach and Erica and, uh, and their fam. And if you guys wanna come on up uh, and then uh, Heather and John, Walt as well, you guys come on up and Bring your family, whoever you want to be up here to dedicate. And just as they're coming up, I just want to let you all know the reason we do this. Most of you know this, but this isn't, uh, this isn't about salvation. This isn't, you know, the same as baptism. This is just an opportunity uh, for these parents uh, to like publicly before this community say we want to commit to raising our babies uh, to know the Lord, uh, to know Jesus, to hear his voice, and to follow him to the best of our ability. And uh, so, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask them, I'm going to ask all of the parents if they're committing to do that, and then I'm going to turn, I'm going to ask you as the congregation, will you commit to walking alongside these parents as part of their family uh, to help raise their kids, to support them in raising their kids uh, you know, to walk in the knowledge of the Lord, to fear him and uh, to raise them to, to know Jesus to the best of their ability. So I'm gonna start by, wow, there's a lot of you up here. By the way, can we just thank Jesus for these babies? You will hear all their individual names when our leadership gives some prophetic words over them. But let me, let me ask you this, parents who are here uh, to dedicate your little ones, uh, Stephen and Allie, John and Heather, Zach and Erica, do you guys commit to raising your children who you're about to dedicate to, to know the Lord, to hear his voice, and to pursue relationship with Jesus to the best of your ability? Awesome, right answer. <laughs> Kingdom life, and just, I only want you to say this if you mean it. If, if you don't think you're gonna be able to do this, just don't say anything. But if, but if you're agreeing to do this, uh, will you commit to walking alongside these parents and their kids to support them in raising their kids to know Jesus, hear his voice, follow the Holy Spirit, and be dedicated to him to the best of your ability? Right answer. <laughs> awesome. Well, then what we're going to do um, now is uh, we're going we're gonna to actually just, I'm going to ask, Anna, why don't you come on over here? Um, we're just going to ask our team to just give some prophetic words, and they're going to share uh, the name of the one that's being dedicated and prophesy over them, and then we're going to pray corporately. All right. So we're going to start with Kingston, who's right here. We already got cash. He's covered. Um, so Kingston, what I heard for him, uh, this is Psalm 36.6. And it says, your righteousness is unmovable, just like the mighty mountains. You like it? Your judgments are full of wisdom, as the oceans are full of water. Your tender care and kindness leave no one forgotten, not a man, nor even a mouse. And I, I haven't really had this happen before, but I actually saw Kingston as like an old man. And 
I don't know, like, if this is literal or spiritual. Like, y'all just weigh it before the Lord. But I actually felt like there, that there was, like, an anointing on his life to be, like, a judge. So start saving for law school. Um, and this verse was just, like, a portrayal of, like, how God is, like, the Father is as a judge. And that I feel like he's even going to be, yeah, he feels it in spirit. You're gonna, he's going to be, like, a father to the fatherless and, like, someone who stands up for justice and who helps other people achieve justice in his life. So we bless you with that. Amen. Amen. All right. Joey. There he is. <laughs> Hi, buddy. How you doing? How are you? It's funny. When they sent me this name, I told them this name goes outside my margins. William David Lionheart Dyer. It's funny. We've walked with this family since the day they were married uh, through three kids now, a, a wedding, and this is just a special moment because they do number three here. When I, when I prayed for, uh, I'm gonna, I call him Lionheart. They call him Liam. I mean, they, they, yeah, I call him Lionheart. So, when I, when, I saw, uh, when I prayed for you, I saw you carrying people and pushing them higher. I see you having the unbending faithfulness to God and people that will manifest in selflessness and action. You will be a shining example of love shows up and fighting for the weak and the oppressed. People will follow you not because of the title you carry, but because of the example and how you live your life. You will be a springboard for others to not just go higher, but desire more in God. And you will be the finisher of the race God has set before you because there is no other plan for you in Jesus' name. So I just bless you with that. I, have, I know Jeff has a word too for Declan, but I have one too that I was gonna read while my mic's hot. It said, Declan, when I prayed for you, I heard that he is a gatherer of the outliers. Your love for people will bring those that will never enter a church to you. They will experience God's love in such a way that they can be tan tangibly feel and see it. This will catapult them into their God-given destiny before they ever engage in a church. Your word of knowledge gift will open hearts and doors that never will have been opened, will have never opened for God to enter and transform people and cultures. I believe this will take you beyond the borders of this country. In Jesus' name, I just bless you with that. That was good. That was great. Well, Declan, I have a word for you. I've been praying about you, too. And here's what God said uh, to me about you. And it's, it's very, uh, interestingly, it's similar to what Joey, what Joey uh, heard from God about you as well. So, Declan, as I was praying about you, the, the word champion came to my mind. And champion, one who excels, one who has favor with both God and man. Also, you will be a champion of others, one who sees the good in others, their true identity, and helps to, call, helps to call out that in others and lead them into their destiny. Declan, you are spiritually sensitive. You will have the gift of being able to see in the spirit realm, giving you greater ability to fully understand the power of love. And your sensitivity will be your strength. You will hear the voice of God. And like David, I see you as a worshiper, not limited to music, but living your life, your life from a place of worship, fully connected to God. This is where you will excel as champion. 
and from where you will lead others into their destiny and in relationship with Jesus. So I bless you with that, Declan. All right, let's just all stretch our hands toward them. I said, can you just feel the destiny over these babies? So what I want you to do is as we pray for them, I want you to agree with us and join your faith with ours, that your, fa- your, your prayer and your faith is actually gonna activate something in their lives, in their destiny. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you for these babies that you've blessed these parents with, with our community with, and that you blessed the world with. We declare your blessing over them, that they would know you from a young age, that they would hear your voice and discover who you are. We declare supernatural favor over them, that they would walk in your blessing. We pray that they would thrive in every area of their lives, that they would prosper in body, soul, and spirit. And we pray that you would anoint them with the power of the Holy Spirit to destroy the works of the devil and advance your kingdom in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just thank God for them one more time. Bless you guys. All right. Hey, Ollie, do you mind grabbing the the pulpit and table? All right. Well, we have a treat tonight. We get to hear our very own Joey Festi. So, let's, oh yeah, 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 I almost forgot. We do have one more thing. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, we have a lot of things going on tonight. For those that have been part of Kingdom Life for a while, you know that we have, uh, we have a lot of people who go out um, as short-term missionaries as well as long-term missionaries. And a lot of you have gotten to know Megan Ulmer. And Megan is somebody who has spent, Megan, why don't you make your way up here? Let's welcome Megan. Megan is... Somebody who we've gotten to know, and she found us a couple years ago, and uh, she's somebody who has spent, you know, a lot of her life in the Middle East as a long-term missionary in Turkey, just literally loving the hell out of people. So, so that we, what, we did, what we did is we asked Megan to just come and just kind of share kind of an update of things that are happening in Turkey and in the Middle East, um, places that she's ministering as much as she can share uh, for the safety of the people. And, uh, and we just want to know about it. And we're going to give you an opportunity to sew into what it is that she's doing. So let's welcome Megan again. It's, yeah, it's such an honor to be with you. Honestly, it's an honor to get to go after the little children, right? They're going to be the ones who lead us. They're going to be the generation that rises up like Jacob and seeks the face of the Lord. And so that's, yeah, just an honor. Um, but yeah, so I've been in the Middle East since I was about 22. I'm 28 now. Speak Turkish, do eight, probably about 85% of the work I do in Turkish. Uh, my fiance is Iranian and he speaks Turkish and we only speak Turkish. So I have a really fun life. <laughs> um, but we have been there. It's amazing if you haven't heard what the Lord is doing in the Middle East. I believe it is the time. You know, we speak about revival and awakening. And this is the hour of awakening in the Middle East. This is the hour to train up leaders in the Middle East. This is the hour to make disciples of all nations in the Middle East. And I believe that's for the world. That's for all of us. None of us can be discounted from this. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And 
Um, I've been in North Cyprus. We have had one woman lead 12 other women to Christ in a very short time period. And so I'm there raising up leaders, um, just discipling them and sharing them to obey the words of Jesus and just helping them. And along the way, me and Hamed really feel called to mother and father, um, a really steward a movement in the Middle East, one that will be sustained uh, over time, that we'll see a transformation of the culture, the nations, that we'll see leaders rise up. Um, And so I'm there in North Cyprus raising up these women, and we're praying that this year we'll we'll start seeing not just a woman's movement, but that we'll see family movements in North Cyprus. And that's what we're wanting to see, that the Lord would turn the hearts of the Father to the children, that we'll see that Malachi reality in North Cyprus in the Middle East, and that we'll see the, the Father heart of God there. Um, and Hamed, he is there in Turkey, in Ankara, and um, he has quite a bit of disciples. He's a little bit different because he speaks Farsi, so I don't speak that language. So he's able, he has Afghani disciples, he has Iranian disciples, um, just a widespread group of disciples there. Um, So the Lord is just doing amazing things. There's nothing like seeing the transformation of people's hearts and to see someone who hated the church or hated Jesus, like surrender everything to Jesus and say that he's the pearl of great price. He's everything. He's worth everything. He's worth giving up everything. And that, like, we need that. We need this testimony in the West. We need this testimony in the earth that we would be disciples, true disciples, not just ones who follow him when we want to and when we, when it's like comfortable, but that we would truly surrender our lives and surrender everything to him. And for me, I've learned so much from the Middle Eastern church and I continue to learn from them. Sometimes I joke, like they pastor me, you know, like I, God's like in his kindness allowing me to be there so I can learn oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to love because they were first called Christians in Antioch, which is in present-day Turkey. And they didn't, someone else called them Christians. They didn't call themselves Christian, but that they saw them by the way that they were loving one another and they called them Christians. And I, like we see this in these Middle Eastern disciples, the way they love one another, the way they wash each other's feet, the hospitality that they carry. Um, And it's just an amazing season. And I'll just tell you a few one or two testimonies of what we're seeing and um, actually recently was in North Cyprus there's a woman we were all like a big group of us just eating breakfast um, and she was she also like saw us we prayed I went up to her after because I felt like led to and she's like what what were y'all like doing y'all like did this weird thing after you ate you're like all these different nations and you love each other we can't even love our own nation like we can't even hang out and our own people um, and after that, I, she was like, okay, so you're a Christian. What does that mean? How did you, did, were you born a Christian? And she just opened up and was like, wow, like Jesus encountered you and you got to actually choose like to follow Jesus. It's such a shame. They just put Muslim on our identity card and that's just how it is. Um, and so I got to like walk with her and say, hey, do you want to like walk together and see, like discover who Jesus really is together? And, um, it was amazing because, like, just in there, she's like, I love that. You know, I didn't even know. Like, most of these people don't know that they have, like, an ability to, to discover outside of Islam. And so it's, like, really not, like, in Turkey itself, there's 80 million people, 4,000 to 6,000 evangelical believers in the country. Like, that is crazy. But even more than a crisis 
of the gospel or crisis of the word, I believe is this is the hour the Lord is raising up. Kind of there's this crisis of leaders, local Middle Eastern leaders to be trained up. And so we feel called to do that in this hour because it's, it's getting a little bit more intense, you could say, in Turkey and those surrounding areas. So um, you could pray for us. And there's way more testimonies I could tell you. But um, yeah, just pray for us that the Lord would anoint us, um, that the gospel would spread like wild wild fire all throughout the region, that we would see the seven churches that are in the book of Revelation, which are in present-day Turkey, arise again, that this nation would return to their first love, yeah, that the Lord would raise it up, and it would be a sign and a witness to the earth that Jesus is real. And so just pray for us. You know, it's rather difficult in those areas of the world to do what we do. Um, and sometimes it feels kind of small. Sometimes I say it like this, like, y'all are a piece of me. Like, I'm this little piece of the arm. Like, it's rather, I feel rather honored and rather, like, small. But, like, with y'all, I can be like a whole, we're like a whole arm, you know? That's what the body's about. And I can't function, like, this part of the body if you won't be the hand. Like, I'm going down in the pit, and if you don't hold the rope, I go down. Like, it's that serious. Like, we're a global body. Like, we're all together in one. One father. And, like, I'm saying this probably for a lot of other people out there, but we need you to be, like, arise and be awake. We need the Western church awake in this hour. We need y'all as the Eastern church. We need y'all to be invested. We need y'all to be awake and in prayer. Like, I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm saying this for you in the persecuted church. Like, they need you to be awake. And, um, yeah, so what I encounter, <laughs> what I encounter is rather little compared to a lot of people. So I really, I don't really believe in heroic Christianity, but the people I get to run with are the ones who the world was not worthy of that we see in the New Testament, and that Jesus, when he returns, I believe they'll be the first ones he washes their feet, and so just pray for them. Pray for us. Um, so when do you head back? So the end of July, she heads back, uh, to, to head back there. So be praying for her. Also, how can people sew in financially to what you're doing? Um, well, my email is mu at i4jc.com, but <laughs> it would be kind of hard, hard to explain right now. So you could just come to me or email me at that email, and I can give you the information. Yeah, and if you want to give tonight toward what Megan's doing, you can just you can give in the offering box back there. Uh, there's envelopes. You can give online at kingdomlifesa.com and just make a note for Megan, and we'll make sure that it gets to her, okay? But let's do this because we don't know if we're going to get a chance. Let's just all stretch our hands toward her, and, uh, and let's just pray for her. Father, we just thank you just for this arrow that you've sent to the nations, God, and that you're, you're getting ready to send back to Turkey, to the Middle East. And Father, we just pray just, uh, just for fresh fire, God, from this house. Lord, from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, we pray for fresh infilling. We pray for fresh faith. We pray for uh, just a, a continued spirit of boldness, God, that you would send her like a wildfire into that nation, God, to set fires that will burn and affect eternity. So Father, we just thank you for her. We bless her. And we just say thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. All right. Let's welcome Joey Festi. Yeah. We, when when y'all sow into her, um, you're sowing into something that's really impactful. I mean, this is a country that, I mean, could you imagine if the, 
when, not if, when the Middle East turns to Jesus, how many things change? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, not that it's the only thing that's going to make things change, but having the Middle East turn to Jesus and seeing revival and seeing an awakening in the Middle East would just be unbelievable, not because most, some see them as, the, the world sees them as an enemy. There are brothers and sisters waiting to come into the kingdom. And until we can see that and understand that, hey, Jesus died for them and understand that it, it's, there's a cost and Megan's over there paying the cost. And um, I just love the fact that she shared that. So thank you, Megan, that's, that's incredible. How's everybody doing? Isn't it fun dedicating children? Well, tonight, um, I'm going to kind of continuation of what Kelly and I have kind of talked about, but kind of get more down in the weeds a little bit about application. Um, I know uh, I'm going to talk fast so we can maybe get out of here a little earlier, but I want to, I want to kind of get through my text. See, I don't want this place to be where we educate people about faith, but empower them to actually live by faith. And the great thing about speaking right after Megan, you just got a, a show and tell of that right there. Because the problem with the church isn't that it doesn't know enough. It's that it doesn't take dominion on what it knows. We know so much and are so ready to be activated, but the activation is what the world is waiting on. It's waiting on us to say, you say you know these things, but almost like the world doesn't know it consciously, but saying, come to me, show me what you know. Not just tell me what you know, but show me what you know. That's why I love her example of the hand holding onto the rope. It's like, show me what you know by showing up and saying you love me and then show, demonstrating that you love me, just like Jesus did to us. See, we, we can't be upset with the results. You can't be upset with the results you don't get from the work you don't do. Let me say that again, because this is what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Don't be upset with the results you don't get from the work you don't do. I'm going to focus on the spirit, mind, and body, knowing that the mind is under the soul, but I just want to focus on the mind part of the soul, so on spirit, mind, and body. And so when you think about going to the gym, and it's funny how everything has a kingdom message, because even in your spirit, mind, and body, God kind of has a plan to help you excel or be victorious in different areas of your life, your spirit, mind, and body. Take, for instance, our body. He gives us wisdom to help take care of our bodies, but even in the, like in the gym, if you go to the gym and you lift weights and you're trying to change your body or change how you feel, lifting with somebody always gives you what? More encouragement, you feel safe. It, it is like this, because it says the, the, your body's a, a a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So when we take care of those things, and I'm trying to lay a groundwork where I can get to where I want to go. So you can do things, you can be stronger, you can you feel safer, you can work harder, and you get better results when you do it with people versus doing it by yourself. That's my point. You get further going with we than just with me. It's like we, even in the gym, in the, in the body, you know, people that go to uh, those workout classes, Orange Theory, or they go to the tribe, they're doing it because you have people pushing them. And there's a team approach to encouragement. I mean, this is the model of the body of Christ. But so many times we fight by ourselves. In our spirit, the Bible talks about our, that our soul prospers, our spirit prospers, that we, 
The word and worship and people help build up our spirit. We can't just do the word. Then we're just full of knowledge. We can't just worship without the word because we really don't know what we're worshiping. And then we can't do all three of those things for our spirit without people to think so we can find out if we're in error or not. Right? I think I've said it before last week or two weeks ago. We proofread our own English paper and we think we're right. I mean, you make yourself, you grade yourself an A. So in the spirit where I even talked to a guy earlier tonight, and he was calling me and said, hey, I've walked this process alone. Now I'm almost embarrassed to bring somebody in. And so I say that to say that in even our spirit, we need people in addition to worship and the word. We can't walk alone. And then in our mind, Romans 12, 1, renew your mind, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Our soul in John, in 3 John um, Two or one, two, beloved, I pray that in all aspects you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. See, we're so intertwined as a being, our spirit, mind, and body, because you could have someone that is spiritually so mature, but then their body and their mind doesn't allow them to accomplish what God has put in them. You can have people that are um, in their minds so mentally strong, but so spiritually immature. And you can have people in the best shape of their life, the beacon of health, that mentally are like crumble at the side of trauma or crumble at the side of adversity. That there's these things that we can't just get over. See, action is a choice just like inaction is a choice. And that's what I'm getting at. As we flow through these things, these issues of our life, spirit, mind, and body, a lot of times we focus on what am I going to do? And the Lord is waiting on you to say yes to him and yes to his body because inaction will give you the same results as inaction. <laughs> Nothing. And a lot of times we try to self-process. We try to memorize more word, which is great. We try to do these certain things. And there's only one way to avoid, and, and, and so we don't take any risk because there's only, I think Aristotle said this, and I'm not, a Greek mythologist or any type of philosopher, but it has, it's a great point. There's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. That's the only way to avoid the limelight to where you might get criticized. And so we have fear hold us back from actually walking and trying to get freedom in different areas of our life in which we are deficient. And so what the, what the Lord wants to do is use people to come into our lives to help us see the things that we don't see so we can be the things that God wants us to be. And that's the action. Megan had a revelation about, she's not in my notes, but she's a great, you know, great uh, show and tell. She had a revelation who Jesus is, and to her, he filled her, empowered her, and gave her a revelation and a vision for Turkey. And guess what? She had to buy a ticket. The safe place would be to sit in her prayer, prayer room 24-7 praying for Turkey so no one would know. And he's going, no, I want to send you there. But, Lord, it's, it's dangerous. That's why I put all this in you so you can go and be the freedom bearer that I want you to do, to bring freedom to captives, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons so these people can know me. And so instead of sitting in the prayer room, she bought a ticket and she went. And she's doing the things that God's called her to do to find her destiny. But it took a step. Because the body of Christ has done a lot in getting information in, but worse in getting the revelation out. And the revelation is what the world needs to see. You can see that 
almost my last five messages have been about the application of what we know and what we get revelation on. And we still keep dealing with the same stuff in our lives, rerunning the same tracks, because we don't want to get out of that hole and change our lives and change the way we think, change the way we respond or react, change our relationships. And what it is, the world is waiting for that to happen because it doesn't happen in here and it won't happen out there if it doesn't happen in here. And it won't happen in here unless it happens in here. But it has to happen here first. We have to tell ourselves to take the next step. Our heart believes Jesus is the Lord. Our heart believes that the Holy Spirit is in us, to, that we can do all things, that nothing is impossible. But we have to decide in our mind to take the next step in order for any of this to change the world and change us. But we got to start changing ourselves before we change others. Meaning you're never going to change others, but going out and giving, <laughs> giving revelation to others. Timothy got a letter from a spiritual dad and, and uh, it said, fight the good fight of faith. See, there are actions that we have to take. A lot of people, when we talk about hearing the word, we talk about, well, Lord, take this away from me. And he's waiting on us to do something. Paul's telling Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And Paul, later on in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says, I fought, I ran the race and fought the fight. So not only is he telling Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, he reiterates in his death letter to his son and saying, I ran my race. There was action there. I fought the good fight of faith. I know the challenges you're going to go through now and when I die. And that's the generational thing that we have to pass on as a church, not a revelation of sitting in a pew, but a revelation of taking what we have, what God said, and using it in all our relationships. And until we do that, we're sterile. We're impotent. And the body of Christ, like, we need people to go to Turkey. We need people to go to the Middle East. We need people to go to Alamo Heights. Everywhere to bring a revelatory action message of the gospel. I don't want a guy to get a word in a coffee shop and then it just never happened anything to him. I want a guy to get in the word of the coffee shop and I want someone to bring him in and follow up with him and see if this guy needs to be discipled. Like, Megan, I'm going to use you all night now. And... Uh, <laughs> and discipling this person and bringing him into the kingdom where he's not bogged down by religion, but bogged down by, but activated by action. Because that's, guys, I've always said, if we're gonna be just an information bureau here, I wanna pack up the bus and go to Luby's. Because this takes a lot of time. I wanna see a bunch of, bunch of people going out on fire for God, it's changing the world because they're actually changing themselves and it starts with us. James said in 123, I want, to be, I want you to be doers of the word, faith and works. Not just do, but love, James 2.22. And here's what I want to talk about. God gave me a revelation about three, four weeks ago in, in, um, in a transition. And we were singing the song, um, You're My Everything. I think it was. Was the title of the song or I Give You Everything? And the Lord told me, Jesus you're everything or just your something. Some of you might remember that. The very something you're dealing with is an area or the something he wants to be your everything. The very thing you're struggling with is the very thing he needs you to be. You need him to be your everything. We have these areas in our life that we keep struggling with and we say, Lord, you're my everything. Come in. It's all yours. 
But the very thing that continues to be a struggle for you is the very area of your life that he's not your everything, but needs to be your everything. Into that something. And I talked about it for about three minutes, and I want to expound on it tonight because I have patterns in my life that those patterns are easily go away if I allow God to come in and be my everything in that something. But if I don't let him into that something, but let him into everything else, he is only everything to some things in my life, but not everything to everything in my life. Y'all follow? I'm just making sure you're awake. It's, it's recorded, but it's true. We, we compartmentalize our lives into the things we want him allow in, but we don't want him into certain things to be our everything. Because sometimes it becomes our whoopee. It becomes that place of comfort. I, I can all, like me, I can always rely on my anger because I, be, I could be in control. What is yours? What is it that bounds you, that, that keeps you from giving everything to him? Is it shame, condemnation, fear? Fear's a big one. Because I'm fearful, I'm going to do this. But I'm going to put a scripture on it so it looks better than fear. It's going to look like wisdom. It's going to look like caution. I'm conservative. And it's really just fear. But you see people that are cautious their whole life but accomplish very little. Because you have to take risks in order to be in the kingdom of a God. There is nothing more, nothing in the kingdom of God that is riskless. Because if you share the gospel, you're going to fear rejection. Right? If you share a word of knowledge, you might be wrong. If you try to preach a message, they might not like it. There's rejection and over everything, even the simplest of stuff. The only, even if you make coffee in this church, you're up to criticism. And, and Lisa, who makes some great coffee... I will tell you what, no one's criticized her. But anything we do is, worth, is going to be criticized. It doesn't matter. But the thing about it is, the, the best thing about Christians is they're like the mob. We shoot our own faster than the outside world shoots us. We'll find, we'll find something wrong with a Christian. And then, like Megan says, do they see us loving one another and making that a preeminent value not just in our voice, but in our actions. It has to be a preeminent value in our actions, not, to, oh yeah, he goes to our church or he goes to the other church, I love him. Really? Would he know that? Would, would the people around you know you love them by the way you love them? For years, I thought I was loving my wife well, only to find out I was, the tracks weren't meeting. My, my love language and her love language was opposite. And so I thought I was loving her well for at least a good six, seven years in the, of the first part of our marriage. Only to find out I wasn't loving her well at all. Anybody with me there? And so we think we're loving people well, but the only judge of someone being loved well is the one that you're, you're loving telling you you're loving them well. I've said it before. It's like we judge our own fruit because we're busy doing good deeds. But if somebody would taste your fruit, would it bring life or would it bring death? Because no one else can judge your fruit but someone else. You can't judge your own. And so when, I, when, I'm, when I'm looking at all these things and I go look at just three areas or three things in our daily lives, he wants to be our everything. And this is not an exhausted list, just examples. He wants to be our everything in our marriages. 
Hard, if they're great marriages, bad marriages, okay marriages, horrible marriages, he wants to be our everything. And what's interesting is, is taking a step to figure out where you are. I read this quote, and it was, it was interesting, because, I mean, this, this would apply to us probably in the first part of our marriage. I mean, at least it applied to me towards you. I don't know about you, but it said, you fell in love with my flowers and not my roots, so when autumn came, you didn't know what to do. You know, we fall in love with the persona of a person, the image of a person, and then something changes. But we didn't get to know the roots. And it takes us a long time to get to know the roots. It takes painful time. Here are my scars. Here's how your dad did this, my mom did this, my brother did this, my sister gets this, I don't get this. My, I'm trying to name everything I can think of that causes us to act the way we do. But we don't talk about it in our marriages because you might not like me. We don't talk about it in our friendships because I might get rejected. But in our marriages, it's, and if you're married, if you're not married, this is so key to when, before you say I do, get to know the roots of the person the best you can because when autumn comes and the flowers fall off, you still are connected. You still find something, that, you still see value in love. If not, it's really hard. But it's rather do it on the front end than the back end. And that's what I'm talking about here is doing those hard steps with our kids and our friends. How, how honest do you want your children to be? I discussed this on Mother's Day. I'm kind of repeating stuff because I want to get a little more detailed in each one of my sub-sermons I had on Mother's Day <laughs> or Father's Day. How, how, how honest do you want your, friends, your, uh, your kids to be? You want me to tell you everything? Or do they fear punishment if they share you their deepest, darkest secrets? How about your friends? You want them to share everything? Do you want to share stuff with them? Do you want to hear from your friends? Or is there things off limits? And if so, who sets the boundary? What's off limits? I'm talking about your good friends. What's the boundary line? Where do you want to be known and where does not being known start? Because this whole thing I'm talking about, the spirit, the mind, the body, that being known, we, we, we all desire to know and to be known. And so we want to be known by God and we want to know God. But guess what? We're as representatives here on earth. So we want to be known by people and we want people to know us in our deepest self, how we, we were created because until you want to be known and known people, you don't even know how to love them. We just think we know how to love them. I loved Kelly the way I wanted to be loved, but that wasn't her love language. I have friends here that I love them the way that I love, and, and sometimes it wasn't very loving. But I had to hear that. Like, whoa, Joey. But it was so helpful for me to grow as a friend because they were willing to tell me where I was being deficient as a friend and things that they noticed in my life. So I could be the person that God intended for me to be. So I could go out and do the things God intended me to do. It doesn't mean we don't start until we're, until we're down that road. But it does help in our healthy relationships in here, out there, in your houses with, with friends and kids and marriages to get real. To actually do the work. Like it says, I'm not talking about working for your salvation. This is about the application after our salvation in life. 
How do we take the gospel and what God wants to do in transforming our lives through the sanctification process and apply it on our everyday lives? How about work? I don't think anyone in the business world, and I talk to a lot of business guys and I talk to, uh, at a lot of meetings to business guys about a kingdom biz- business mindset. It's not about having a fish on your card and Bible study in the office. It's about how do you treat your employees? Would your, your lowest played employee that does almost nothing, does that person feel like you're a Christian? Because if you can't impact your office, you sure can impact, you know, Turkey. Megan, I'm so glad you're here. You're my get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, yeah. Jeff says maybe sliced turkey, but not turkey. But in work, if we're, not, if we're not doing these things that are actually applying to our lives, getting real, my employees know some of the vulnerabilities in my life, not because I'm, I'm not opening and unzipping to them, but I also demonstrate love to them. And sometimes I'm extremely intense, if you probably had noticed. But my intensity is more for the freedom of others than it is for me wanting anything out of them. My intensity is that, hey, there's a, there's, there's a bar here that I want to throw you over in a good sense because the bar is God's bar for your life. I don't want to throw you over the bar just to kill you, but there's a bar that God has for your life, and he set it here, and I want to see you go over that bar before I die. But where is our heart in all this? Work, our body, the body of Christ. What expectation do we have on each other to love each other, to show up? I, I mean, one of the biggest challenges I had, and I was called to the carpet on it, was when we first started the church. Back in 2010 was um, getting rid of my expectation. Expectation on people. I mean, as a leader... Loving people with, and then having an expectation collide. I mean, you can have basic expectation, you know, that we're not in here, you know, slugging each other, smoking cigarettes and drinking scotch. Basic expectations. But <laughs> now Jeff goes, the rules, all these rules. But we can have it, we can have, but having an expectation on people with something in return. I'm going to love you, but I expect something in return. And I'm going to give you a real life example, and by no means hear this in the right heart, because this is a great example for me. Last week we made an announcement hey, um, setup training next week, three o'clock, 345, or four, or five, it didn't matter, zero came. Eight years ago, I was mad. Today, I'm just, wow. Wow, just like, okay, well, the two people we have, we'll have to carry the load for a while. It's a different approach. Don't hear that in condemnation. Hear my process, where I came from to where I am. It's like, yeah, that's frustrating, but it was like eight years ago, I would have been angry, like, what the heck? But guess what? God's going to move, and these two or three that are doing it are killing it, and I'm happy that they're doing it. My point is, where are we going in this process of life? If we're not taking risks, we're not moving. Where are we going? See, because I think on a lot of times, also in, in how we spend our free time. Free time. Anybody have much free time? 
<laughs> I put this down here. I said, almost everything will work again if you unplug it just for a few minutes, including you. So in our free time, one of my biggest challenges is unplugging. My wife's laughing. But to unplug in free time, think about what we do with our free time. Our free time is not, can be about us or it can be about others. It can be a combination of both. What, I, what I'm asking myself on a daily basis is, Lord, where do you want me to be and when do you want me to be there? And sometimes it's on the beach and sometimes it's at someone's house or sometimes it's in prayer, sometimes it's in the Word. But do we take our free time and really get over, give it over to the Lord? Or do we take our free time on a calendar and say, well, here's my free time. But let's say God wants to interrupt that. But also there's a time where you, don't, you fill your calendar and God wants to interrupt that. It happened to me, you know, it happens to me many times with several people in this room where all of a sudden they go, you're getting out of town. We're going hunting. It's not on my calendar, but it's on theirs to get me out of town. Friends that will see that I'm going through or I'm maxed out or I'm losing, I'm just stressed, and they're coming into my life saying, okay, we're getting out of town. Or my wife goes, you're getting out of town. You're going to take off and take some time. But having friends in your life that see something in you and say, okay, it's not on your calendar. So your free time, giving it over to the Lord. Because that allows you to be in a better place to be who you were called to be, to be able to unplug. Because if you're re reacting in life more than you're responding, you need a time out. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's just the way we live our lives. Because when we don't, when we get self-righteous thinking we don't need anyone or anything, that we're doing just fine, just me and Jesus, and I said this several weeks ago, on the, on the other side of that self-righteousness it is judgment and defamation. When we feel self-righteous, every relationship we encounter, we will judge, and then we, if that doesn't work, we'll defame them. It's just natural progression of, of self-righteousness. I'm better, therefore, I judge you, and now let me say something bad about you. And that's not, again, thank you, Megan. What Megan said, when, when we're talking about God seeing people love, seeing us love one another. Because that love is what's going to impact the world. See, as a father, I might not know what the right road is, but I know what the wrong road is. And the wrong road, because I've been on that road. I've been on that road of self-righteousness. I've seen what it does and what it looks like. And sometimes people come to me and say, hey, what do you think? I go, I don't know what road to go, but I know which one not to go on. And sometimes it's just that easy and when people come into your life, it's like, I don't know the answer, but I know that's not it. Because even in business, I told a guy this just yesterday, some of the best deals I've done are the ones I didn't do. And the, and the worst deals I've done are some that I did. <laughs> and it all depends on how much counsel I seeked to get a deal done and not be too prideful. See, there has to be in each and every one of us a destruction of something to create something. In us, to create something new, there has to be a destruction of something else. A butterfly has to be unrecognizable. I mean, a, a caterpillar has to be unrecognizable to be a butterfly. God said, you know, it's, it's, God said, I'll make all things new, not make all things remodeled. He wanted to de de destruct everything in us that's not of him. 
so he could build something new. It's not like, hey, I painted the chassis. It's a new chassis. It's not like I, I, got, uh, I, I fixed your brain, but I renewed your mind. It's not that I got rid of fear. I don't, I not only did I get rid of fear, but I actually got empowered to run and make different decisions. It's, it changes everything. When you're renewed, as God deconstructs these things, when he uses his people to come in and deconstruct the patterns in our life so we can be who we're called to be, it's amazing how you go, I can't believe I just did that. I haven't done that my whole life. Why? Because that's de- you're reconstructed new. And so new things do new things. Old things just look, the, look a little different but do the same thing. And that's the thing that I think we need to see. We try to whitewash the tomb. We try to put that thing over here, this whatever it is that we're carrying. That's something that he needs to be our everything in. And we put it over here in this category and say, I can control it. It's okay. And he's saying, no, walk with people that can get, help you walk through it. Well, that's embarrassing. It's okay. I guarantee you they have embarrassing things. Some of us are so embarrassed by things that we were more worried about being embarrassed and free. And on that tension right there, on the other side of that, whatever you think is freedom. And that is where life begins. It doesn't end with, with, with this disclosure. It begins. And the disclosure is you're not perfect. And you have these flaws. And when we get to that point, that's when things start changing in our life and things start changing in the world. It doesn't come from just going over and getting a great Bible lesson. It's taking that Bible lesson into your spirit, into your heart, and seeing it activated where it actually changes someone else's life. And there is risk in that. I don't want to be remodeled. I want to, I want to be renewed. See, Danny Silk says this, every problem must find its owner before we can ever apply a solution. We've got to find the owner of the problem. You can't be afraid to own something or nothing will change. And more importantly, no one else can own it for you. No one else can want something for you more than you do. It doesn't work. And that's what I'm going to end with tonight. You got to find the owner of what we're struggling with. And when you find the owner, that's when a solution can come. But the people in your life can't want it more for you than you want it yourself because you're the only one that can walk out the ownership of that problem. Amen? And so we have to, fo- so we have to first identify what the problem is in our lives, what we're dealing with. What are the, what's a pattern we keep dealing with? What is something that won't go away? What is something that haunts us? And get that pattern and say, do you own it? Because if you don't own it, now you're a victim. Because that means someone else owns it and it's applying to you. And listen, there are victim crimes out there, right? You didn't ask to be burglarized or, and that might be a trauma. I'm not talking about those things. But if we don't own our problem, then now we're the victim. And someone else, mean, that means someone else controls my life and my emotions because I'm the victim. But if we can own this thing, then we're on the path of, 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 of wholeness because we can talk about these things that bind us because now I own this. 
There are some decisions I've made in the last 10 years that I go, wow, I have to own this before I can get peace from it. I made a bad business deal in 2014, actually 2011, and in 14 it blew up. Now, the guy wasn't honest, and I trusted him, but I had to own that I trusted him. I had to own that I put the money in. I had to own those things before I could get healing in what happened with him. And it took me a while, but I had to own it. Just a personal business example. I had to own my role with my wife. I told you on Father's Day, I had to own my role with my children where I put them on the bed and repented to them of how the things that I said to them made them feel when I was younger. Some of the anger, some of the frustrations. But I had to own it before there was a solution. Because if I didn't own it, then they wouldn't believe me. And then if they didn't believe me, they don't trust me. If they don't trust me, we're disconnected and have no relationship. So we have to find the owner. And when we find the owner, then we proceed down a path of, of just healing in ourselves. And guess what? You're going to peel this onion back and own all sorts of things over the next several years. They don't just stop with, oh, I think I own this today. And he's going to go, what well, do you own that? And it's okay. You go to the doctor say, i got five diseases. Just cure me of one. No. You say, get them all out as you see them. Well, we didn't find this one till this. Okay, well, let's get it out. Hey, well, we found this one today. Oh, let's get it out. We're not, so, we shouldn't be selective. But my point is, is that if we can own these things and get set free, this is what ignites people into action. Because if not, they're carrying around luggage with all this stuff in it they don't want to let go of, and it weights them down, and it keeps them off the plane because it's too much weight, and it costs too much money, and they're walking around with just heavy shoulders, heavy heart, out of breath, tired, because they're carrying around stuff they weren't meant to carry around because they want to give it to the something that wants to take care of the everything and set you free. And that day needs to come as soon as possible for each and every one of us. Some of you might be in such a good place. Some of you might be in a horrible place. Some of you might just be going, okay, i got to pray about this. Some of you got to be going, he's crazy. i got nothing. But whatever it is, wherever you are, God wants to go to that something and be your everything. And only you know what that something is. And you, only you can let people into that something. You always, it's easy to let God in when you're praying in your private space. But can you let people in to walk with you through it? That's the fastest path to freedom. That's what he gave us the body for. I mean, I might preach on this the next time, just because if we got to get the understanding of freedom in our lives by owning what we do and owning the consequences of those and then walking into a freedom path where we can be who God created us to be to do the things God wants us to do. He does not want us to sit and do nothing. He does not want us to sit and be one of those that is not loving to people that don't agree with you. They're not loving to the people that don't look like you. It's amazing. There should be, I mean, in any place in the world, in the church, there should be no racism. It is stopped. But there still is. There should be certain things that should have been almost like a bad virus that has been been eradicated. There should be some things that are eradicated in the body of Christ. And part of the things that needs to be eradicated are things that are in us. So we can be a representation of the creator that created us and put a gift in our life. We prophesied over these children something that we believe God told us that they're going to do. And guess what? Each and every one of you, the day you were born, had a prophecy from the father that created you. 
And the question is, what is keeping you from living that prophetic prophecy in your lives? What is holding back that prophetic prophecy that people want to get set free by, use it, by God using you with the key? That is something that's so powerful. If we could get down in our soul and think we can live life bigger than what we truly are, because we see something that we haven't seen before by getting rid of the luggage so we can see clearly, yes, this is what I was created to do. And it's not a straight line. It can be a painful line. But that's my encouragement for you tonight, is that why not start now? Why not start that process of figuring out what's in our life that God wants to take out of our life so we can be the people that he desired us to be? Because each and every one of you has a gift, a special gift, and you carry things that the world needs. And every time, no matter, I don't care if you're a teenager or you're in your latter, uh, later years, you still have a God-given destiny on your life to change the world. And once you give up that hope, that's when you turn hopeless. And we serve the God of hope. Stand with me, please.